Section 29 of Essays, Book 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Malone. Essays, Book 3 by Michel de Montaigne. Translated by Charles Cotton. Of Physiognomy. Is not this an innocent child's pleading of an unimaginable loftiness, true, frank, and just, unexampled, and in what a necessity employed? Truly, he had a very good reason to prefer it before that which the great orator Lysias had penned for him, admirably couched indeed in the judiciary style, but unworthy of so noble a criminal. Had a suppliant voice been heard out of the mouth of Socrates, that lofty virtue had struck sail in the height of its glory, and ought his rich and powerful nature to have committed her defense to art, and in her highest proof have renounced truth and simplicity, the ornaments of his speaking to adorn and deck himself with the embellishments of figures and the flourishes of a premeditated speech he did very wisely and like himself not to corrupt the tenor of an incorrupt life and so sacred an image of the human form to spin out his decrepitude another year and to betray the immortal memory of that glorious end he owed his life not to himself but to the example of the world had it not been a public damage that he should have concluded it after a lazy and obscure manner. Assuredly, that careless and indifferent consideration of his death deserved that posterity should consider it so much the more, as indeed they did. And there is nothing so just in justice than that which fortune ordained for his recommendation. For the Athenians abominated all those who had been causers of his death to such a degree that they avoided them as excommunicated persons, and looked upon everything as polluted that had been touched by them. No one would wash with them in the public baths, no one would salute or own acquaintance with them, so that at last, unable longer to support this public hatred, they hanged themselves. If anyone shall think that among so many other examples that I had to choose out of in the sayings of Socrates for my present purpose, I have made an ill choice of this, and shall judge this discourse of his elevated above common conceptions, I must tell them that I have properly selected it, for I am of another opinion and hold it to be a discourse in rank and simplicity much below and behind common conceptions. He represents it an inartificial boldness and infantine security, the pure and first impression and ignorance of nature. For it is to be believed that we have naturally a fear of pain, but not of death. By reason of itself, tis a part of our being, and no less essential than living. 
To what end should nature have begotten in us a hatred to it and a horror of it, considering that it is of so great utility to her in maintaining the succession and vicissitude of her works, and that in this universal republic it conduces more to birth and augmentation than to loss or ruin? Sic rerum summa novatur. Mille animas una necata dedit. The failing of one life is the passage to a thousand other lives. Nature has imprinted in beasts the care of themselves and of their conservation. They proceed so far as hitting or hurting to be timorous of being worse of themselves of our haltering and beating them accidents subject to their sense and experience but that we should kill them they cannot fear nor have they the faculty to imagine and conclude such a thing as death it is said indeed that we see them not only cheerfully undergo it horses for the most part neighing and swans singing when they die but moreover seek it at need of which elephants have given many examples besides the method of arguing of which socrates here makes use is it not equally admirable both in simplicity and vehemence truly it is much more easy to speak like aristotle and to live like caesar than to speak and live as socrates did there lies the extreme degree of perfection and difficulty. Art cannot reach it. Now our faculties are not so trained up. We do not try. We do not know them. We invest ourselves with those of others and let our own lie idle. As someone may say of me that I have here only made a nosegay of foreign flowers, having furnished nothing of my own but the thread to tie them. Certainly, I have so far yielded to public opinion that those borrowed ornaments accompany me, but I do not mean that they shall cover me and hide me. That is quite contrary to my design, who desire to make a show of nothing but what is my own, and what is my own by nature. And had I taken up my own advice, I had at all hazards spoken purely alone. I more and more load myself every day, beyond my purpose and at first method, upon the account of idleness and the humor of the age. If it misbecome me, as I believe it does, tis no matter, it may be of use to some others. Such there are who quote Plato and Homer, who never saw either of them, and I also have taken things out of place far enough distant from their source without pains and without learning, having a thousand volumes about me in the place where I write, I can presently borrow, if I please, from a dozen such scrap-gatherers, people about whom I do not much trouble myself, wherewith to trick up this treatise of physiognomy. There needs no more but a preliminary epistle of a German to stuff me with quotations, and so it is we go in quest of a tickling story to cheat the foolish world these lumber pies of commonplaces 
wherewith so many furnish their studies, are of little use but to common subjects, and serve but to show us and not to direct us. A ridiculous fruit of learning, that Socrates so pleasantly discusses against Euthydemus. I've seen books made of things that were never either studied or understood the author committing to several of his learned friends the examination of this and t'other matter to compile it, contenting himself, for his share, with having projected the design, and by his industry, to have tied together this faggot of unknown provisions. The ink and paper, at least, are his. This is to buy or borrow a book, and not to make one. Tis to show men not that he can make a book, but that, whereof they may be in doubt, he cannot make one. A president where I was boasted that he had amassed together two hundred and odd commonplaces in one of his judgments, in telling which he deprived himself of the glory he had got by it. In my opinion, a pusillanimous and absurd vanity for such a subject and such a person. I do the contrary, and amongst so many borrowed things, am glad if I can steal one, disguising and altering it for some new service, at the hazard of having it said that tis for want of understanding its natural use. I give it some particular touch of my own hand, to the end it may not be so absolutely foreign. These set their thefts in show and value themselves upon them, and so have more credit with the laws than I have. We naturalists think that there is a great and incomparable preference in the honor of invention over allegation. If I would have spoken by learning, I had spoken sooner. I had written of the time nearer to my studies, when I had more wit and better memory, and should sooner have trusted to the vigor of that age than this, would I have made a business of writing. And what if this gracious favor, his acquaintance with Mademoiselle de Gournay, which fortune has lately offered me upon the account of this work, had befallen me in that time of my life? instead of this, wherein it is equally desirable to possess, soon to be lost. Two of my acquaintance, great men in this faculty, have in my opinion lost half in refusing to publish at forty years old that they might stay till threescore. Maturity has its defects as well as green years, and worse and old age is as unfit for this kind of business as any other. He who commits his decrepitude to the press plays the fool if he thinks to squeeze anything out thence that does not relish of dreaming, dotage, and driveling. The mind grows costive and thick in growing old. I deliver my ignorance in pomp and state, and my learning meagerly and poorly. This accidentally and accessorily, that principally and expressly, and write specifically of nothing but nothing, nor of any science but that of inscience. I have chosen a time when my life, which I am to give an account of, 
lies wholly before me. What remains has more to do with death, and of my death itself, should I find it a prating death, as others do, I would willingly give an account of it at my departure. Socrates was a perfect exemplar in all great qualities, and I'm vexed that he had so deformed a face and body, as is said, and so unsuitable to the beauty of his soul, himself being so amorous and such an admirer of beauty. Nature did him wrong. There's nothing more probable than the conformity and relation of the body to the soul. Ipsi animi magni refert, quali in corpore locati sunt. Molto enim a corpore existunt, qui acuant mentem, multa qua obtundant. It is of great consequence in what bodies minds are placed, for many things spring from the body that may sharpen the mind, and many that may blunt it. Cicero Tusculani Questiones, one thirty-three. This refers to an unnatural ugliness and deformity of limbs. But we call ugliness also an unseemliness at first sight, which is principally lodged in the face, and discusses us on very slight grounds, by the complexion, a spot, a rugged countenance, for some reasons often wholly inexplicable, in members nevertheless of good symmetry and perfect. The deformity that clothed the very beautiful soul in La Boisie was of this predicament, that superficial ugliness, which nevertheless is always the most imperious, is of least prejudice to the state of the mind, and of very little certainty in the opinion of men. The other, which is never properly called deformity, being more substantial, strikes deeper in. Not every shoe of smooth, shining leather, but every shoe well made, shows the shape of the foot within. As Socrates said of this, it betrayed equal ugliness in his soul, had he not corrected it by education. But in saying so, I hold he was unjust, as his custom was. Never so excellent a soul formed itself. I cannot often enough repeat how great an esteem I have for beauty, that potent and advantageous quality he, La Boise, called it a short tyranny, and Plato the privilege of nature. We have nothing that excels it in reputation. It has the first place in the commerce of men. It presents itself in the front seduces and prepossesses our judgments with great authority and wonderful impression. Frine had lost her cause in the hands of an excellent advocate, if, opening her robe, she had not corrupted her judges by the luster of her beauty. And I find that Cyrus, Alexander, and Caesar, the three masters of the world, never neglected beauty in their greatest affairs. No more did the first Scipio. The same word in Greek signifies both fair and good. 
and the holy word often says good when it means fair. I should willingly maintain the priority in good things, according to the song that Plato calls an idle thing, taken out of some ancient poet. Health, beauty, riches. Aristotle says that the right of command appertains to the beautiful, and that when there is a person whose beauty comes near the images of the gods, veneration is equally due to him. To him who asked why people oftener and longer frequent the company of handsome persons, that question, said he, is only to be asked by the blind. Most of the philosophers, and the greatest, paid for their schooling and acquired wisdom by the favor and mediation of their beauty, not only in the men that serve me, but also in the beasts. I consider it within two fingers' breadth of goodness. And yet I fancy that those features and molds of face and those lineaments by which men guess at our internal complexions and our fortunes to come is a thing that does not very directly and simply lie under the chapter of beauty and deformity. No more than every good odor and serenity of air promises health, nor all fog and stink infection in a time of pestilence. Such as accuse ladies of contradicting their beauty by their manners do not always hit right. For in a face which is none of the best, there may dwell some air of probity and trust. As on the contrary, I have read, betwixt two beautiful eyes, menaces of a dangerous and malignant nature. There are favorable physiognomies, so that in a crowd of victorious enemies you shall presently choose, amongst men you never saw before, one rather than another to whom to surrender, and with whom to entrust your life, and yet not properly upon the consideration of beauty. A person's look is but a feeble warranty, and yet it is something considerable, too. And if I had to lash them, I would most severely scourge the wicked ones who belie and betray the promises that nature has planted in their foreheads. I should with greater severity punish malice under a mild and gentle aspect. It seems as if there were some lucky and some unlucky faces, and I believe there is some art in distinguishing affable from merely simple faces, severe from rugged, and malicious from pensive, scornful from melancholic, and other such bordering qualities. There are beauties which are not only haughty, but sour, and others that are not only gentle, but more than that, insipid. To prognosticate from them future events is a matter that I shall leave undecided. I have, as I have said elsewhere as to my own concern, simply and implicitly embraced this ancient rule, that we cannot fail in following nature, and that the sovereign precept is to conform ourselves to her. I have not, as Socrates did, corrected my natural composition by the force of reason, 
and have not in the least disturbed my inclination by art. I've let myself go as I came. I contend not. My two principal parts live, of their own accord, in peace and good intelligence. But my nurse's milk, thank God, was tolerably wholesome and good. Shall I say this, by the way, that I see in greater esteem than tis worth, and in use solely among ourselves, a certain image of scholastic probity, a slave to precepts, and fettered with hope and fear, I would have it such as that laws and religions should not make, but perfect and authorize it, that finds it has wherewithal to support itself without help, born and rooted in us from the seed of universal reason, imprinted in every man by nature. That reason which strengthens Socrates from his vicious bend renders him obedient to the gods and men of authority in his city. Courageous in death, not because his soul is immortal, but because he is mortal. Tis a doctrine ruinous to all government, and much more hurtful than ingenious and subtle, which persuades the people that a religious belief is alone sufficient and without conduct to satisfy the divine justice. Use demonstrates to us a vast distinction between devotion and conscience. I have a favorable aspect, both in form and in interpretation. Quid dixi habere me, ibo habui creme. What did I say that I have? No, cremes, I had. Terence, Heauton Timorumanos, Act 1, Scene 2, Verse 42. Heu, tantum atriti corporis osoides. Alas, of a worn body thou seest only the bones. And that makes a quite contrary show to that of Socrates. It has often befallen me, and that upon the mere credit of my presence and air, persons who had no manner of knowledge of me have put a very great confidence in me, whether in their own affairs or mine. And I have been in foreign parts thence obtained singular and rare favors but the two following examples are peradventure worth particular relation. A certain person planned to surprise my house and me in it. His scheme was to come to my gates alone, and to be importunate to be let in. I knew him by name, and had fair reason to repose confidence in him as being my neighbor and something related to me. I caused the gates to be opened to him, as I do to every one. There I found him, with every appearance of alarm, his horse panting and very tired. He entertained me with this story, that about half a league off he had met with a certain enemy of his, whom I also knew, and had heard of their quarrel that his enemy had given him a very brisk chase, and that having been surprised in disorder and his party being too weak, he had fled to my gates for refuge, and that he was in great trouble for his followers. 
whom, he said, he concluded to be all either dead or taken. I innocently did my best to comfort, assure, and refresh him. Shortly after came four or five of his soldiers, who presented themselves in the same countenance and affright, to get in too, and after them more, and still more, very well mounted and armed, to the number of five and twenty or thirty, pretending that they had the enemy at their heels. This mystery began a little to awaken my suspicion. I was not ignorant what an age I lived in, how much my house might be envied, and I had several examples of others of my acquaintance to whom a mishap of this sort had happened. But thinking there was nothing to be got by having begun to do a courtesy, unless I went through with it, and that I could not disengage myself for them without spoiling all, I let myself go the most natural and simple way, as I always do, and invited them all to come in. And in truth I am naturally very little inclined to suspicion and distrust. I willingly incline towards excuse and the gentlest interpretation. I take men according to the common order and do not more believe in those perverse and unnatural inclinations unless convinced by manifest evidence than I do in monsters and miracles. And I am, moreover, a man who willingly commits myself to fortune and throw myself headlong into her arms, and I have hitherto found more reason to applaud than to blame myself for so doing having ever found her more discreet about and a greater friend to my affairs than I am myself. There are some actions in my life whereof the conduct may justly be called difficult, or, if you please, prudent. Of these, supposing the third part to have been my own, doubtless the other two-thirds were absolutely hers. We make, methinks, a mistake in that we do not enough trust heaven with our affairs, and pretend to more from our own conduct than appertains to us. And therefore it is that our designs so often miscarry. Heaven is jealous of the extent that we attribute to the right of human prudence above its own, and cuts it all the shorter by how much the more we amplify it. The last comers remained on horseback in my courtyard, whilst their leader, who was with me in the parlour, would not have his horse put up in the stable, saying he should immediately retire so soon as he had news of his men. He saw himself master of his enterprise, and nothing now remained but its execution. He has since several times said, for he was not ashamed to tell the story himself, that my countenance and frankness had snatched the treachery out of his hands. He again mounted his horse, his followers, who had their eyes intent upon him to see when he would give the signal, being very much astonished to find him come away and leave his prey behind him. Another time, relying upon some truce just published in the army, I took a journey through a very ticklish country. I had not ridden far, but I was discovered, and two or three parties of horse 
from various places were set out to seize me. One of them overtook me on the third day, and I was attacked by fifteen or twenty gentlemen in visors, followed at a distance by a band of foot soldiers. I was taken, withdrawn into the thick of a neighboring forest, dismounted and robbed, my trunks rifled, my money-box taken, and my horses and equipage divided amongst new masters. We had, in this copse, a very long contest about my ransom, which they set so high that it was manifest that I was not known to them. They were, moreover, in a very great debate about my life, and, in truth, there were various circumstances that clearly showed the danger I was in. Tunc animis opus aenea, tunc pectore firmo. Then, Aeneas, there was need of courage of a firm heart. Aeneid 6, 261. I still insisted upon the truce, too willing they should have the gain of what they had already taken from me, which was not to be despised, and without promise of any other ransom. After two or three hours that we had been in this place, and that they had mounted me up on a horse that was not likely to run from them, and committed me to the guard of fifteen or twenty arquebusiers, and dispersed my servants to others, Having given order that they should carry us away prisoners several ways, and I being already got some two or three musket shots from the place, yam precipolucus, yam castorus implorata. By a prayer addressed now to Pollux, now to Castor, Catullus seventy sixty-five. Behold, a sudden and unexpected alteration. I saw the chief return to me with gentler language, making search amongst the troopers for my scattered property, and causing as much as could be recovered to be restored to me, even to my money-box. But the best present they made was my liberty, for the rest did not much concern me at that time. The true cause of so sudden a change, and of this reconsideration, without any apparent impulse, and of so miraculous a repentance in such a time, in such a planned and deliberate enterprise, and become just by usage, for at the first dash I plainly confessed to them of what party I was, and whither I was going, truly I do not yet rightly understand. The most prominent amongst them, who pulled off his visor and told me his name, repeatedly told me at the time, over and over again, that I owed my deliverance to my countenance and the liberty and boldness of my speech that rendered me unworthy of such a misadventure and should secure me from its repetition. Tis possible that the divine goodness willed to make use of this vain instrument for my preservation, and it, moreover, defended me the next day from other and worse ambushes, of which these my assailants have given me warning. The last of these two gentlemen is yet living himself to tell the story. The first was killed not long ago.
if my face did not answer for me if men did not read in my eyes and in my voice the innocence of intention i had not lived so long without quarrels and without giving offence seeing the indiscreet whatever comes into my head and to judge so rashly of things this way may with reason appear uncivil and ill-adapted to our way of conversation but i had never met with any who judged it outrageous or malicious or that took offence at my liberty if he had it from my own mouth words repeated have another kind of sound and sense nor do i hate any person and i am so slow to offend that i cannot do it even upon the account of reason itself and what occasion has required me to sentence criminals i have rather chosen to fail in point of justice than to do it but magus peccari nolem quam satis animi ad vindicanda peccata habiam so that i had rather men should not commit faults than that i should have sufficient courage to condemn them livy thirty nine twenty one aristotle tis said was reproached for having been too merciful to a wicked man i was indeed said he merciful to the man but not to his wickedness ordinary judgments exasperate themselves to punishment by the horror of the fact but it cools mine the horror of the first murder makes me fear a second and the deformity of the first cruelty makes me abhor all imitation of it that may be applied to me who am but a squire of clubs which was said of Carillus, king of sparta he cannot be good seeing he is not evil even to the wicked or thus for plutarch delivers it both these ways as he does a thousand other things variously and contradictorily he must needs be good because he is so even to the wicked even as in lawful actions i dislike to employ myself when for such as are displeased at it so to say the truth in unlawful things i do not make conscience enough of employing myself when it is for such as are willing end of section twenty nine reading by malone